Hello, um, this is Jen Sanders, and I am so happy to welcome you to our podcast on the practices of the Christian life, particularly this last segment on community. And as we continue to learn about the best soil for community to thrive, we take our cues from the Lord himself. How does he interact with us and what is his posture? What culture does he create and what drives him? We saw last week that it was because God so loved the world that he gave his only son and explored the the deep roots of his said love, his steadfast love that endures forever and how we can receive and share that as the Trinity does amongst itself. This week, we want to follow Jesus, follow the Lord and the writer of Hebrews where he shares for the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross, despising the shame and came to sit at the right hand of the father. Joy is a critical, is critical in our life with the Lord and a critical nutrient in our soil for community. And what we'll learn and explore more today is the link also between joy and sorrow and how both we are need we need to make room for both in our community in order for us to thrive. So first for joy, the Bible speaks a lot about joy and joy that comes from lots of different things like creation and food and weddings and friendships and even wine. Yet we see, though, the deepest joy the Bible speaks about is connected to relationship with the Lord himself. And as we practice for heaven in our communities, we glance and continue to reorient towards our life with the Lord forever and what that will look like. The writer um, of the Psalm 16 says, in your presence is fullness of joy. Another Psalm 21.6, you make him joyful with gladness in your presence. There is a significant joy that is ours as we draw near to the Lord and even more that will be in full as we are with him one day um, in glory. And scripture also shows us there's some link between God's face shining on us and joy. Number six declares that the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. We sing this over our children as they are baptized. We are basically saying there is something in the father's face being turned and delighting in this little one that will sustain them all the days of their life. One story I read about recently that I'm going to share with you is about a father who couldn't take his eyes off his son. It was actually a frail father. He was sick 
in bed and his son came to care for him. He was dependent on his son, Bill, for everything. His disease was causing his body to waste away, yet his mind remained alert and lively. In this role reversal common to adult children who care for their dying parents, Bill would put his father to bed and then read to him, hoping to help him fall asleep. He would read from the same novel, and his father would lie there, staring at his son, smiling. Bill, exhausted from the day's work, would plead with his dad, Look, here's the idea. I read to you. You fall asleep. Bill's father would impishly apologize and dutifully close his eyes, but this wouldn't last long. Soon enough, Bill's father would prop one eye open and smile at his son. Come on, Dad. The father would again oblige until he couldn't anymore, and the other eye would open to catch a glimpse of his son. This went on and on, and after his father's death, Bill knew that this evening ritual was really a story of a father who just couldn't take his eyes off his kid. And how much more so with our God. Behold, the one beholding you and smiling. So biblical joy is wrapped up in the Father's face shining upon us. His delight in us creates joy within us as well. Word in Greek and Hebrew, kara or simha, for joy is experienced in the context of relationship with the Lord and his people. God designed our brains for joy. It's so interesting that even those who don't know the Lord quite yet, who are studying the brain, see this as well. They see our our very creative divine design um, made for joy. One psychologist, Dr. Shore, describes the definition of joy as seeing the sparkle in someone's eyes that they are happy to be with you. And what he's learning in his work with trauma patients and those who are struggling with mental health diseases is that by starting with joy, and helping build patients' joy, they were able to decrease hospitalization rates to almost zero over time. It was critical, they found, to build joy before moving into the hard work of trauma therapy. Now, what we know is that joy doesn't remove our pain, but gives us strength to endure. It's relational, and requires others around us. Joy requires someone else's eyes upon us. Both as Christians, we can experience this from the Lord, but we also need to experience this from each other. And often, as with said love, we need to experience this these eyes, this delight in us in the middle of some of our darkest times. Here we really understand the Lord's joy. For it was for the joy set before him that he endured the cross. For us, he willingly entered into pain for us and for joy. 
And there's something crazily linked um, between suffering, sorrow, and joy. One counselor, Adam Young, speaks about this in the context of Christ's death and resurrection. He describes this as the U diagram. Now, if you can follow along with me, the very top part of the U is Christ's death and crucifixion. And now follow me down the, the U um, into the to deep, deep struggle with death and darkness on that Saturday where both Jesus's followers must have despaired and felt abandoned. And also Jesus himself, as he battled death, conquering death, separated from the Father and the Spirit. There was darkness, there was heaviness, there was sorrow, there was questioning, there was grief. And yet, in that, there was a a place, as death was conquered, there was a movement forward and up with the resurrection where we saw and continue to see new life and ultimately life forever. Death was defeated. And there's something in this cycle that is important for us as well in our own healing with pain and death and trials and suffering. And what Adam Young warns us against is if we're, we're too quick to possibly move from the crucifixion to the resurrection, we will miss out on some of the deepest healing and the deepest joy. One thing I have learned as I have been grieving my husband's loss to um, a terrible sickness is that this deep, deep work of grief is actually carving out a cavern for joy to fill. And this is something I have learned from those who've gone before me, both friends um, who have walked through deep pain and also authors who were willing to write about it. And they speak of this um, need to sit in our, our ache and, and come to the Lord in it and also experience others' eyes in our ache with us and their delight in us in the middle of our pain. And then joy springs from this. It is not something we can make happen or that we can force, like a Pollyanna-type attitude. And yet it is a, a dance <laughs> that we do um, with the Lord himself. It's not a formula. Thomas Merton writes, No despair of ours can alter the reality of things or stain the joy of the cosmic dance, which is always there. We are invited to forget ourselves on purpose, cast our awful solemnity to the winds, and join in the general dance. Now, I'm not sure if this is why I love dancing so much, 
but I definitely have found this sorrow and joy to be connected on the dance floor. There will be space for weeping and for great delight. And I think we have found something to this psychologist's research to be true on the dance floor as well. He would say that our right brain is critical in growing joy in our community. And our right brain is primarily driven by images and experiences and our body and relational connections. It's not something that we can study and produce. Now, this is a bit challenging for us in our Christian post-enlightenment world where transformation is often thought to be produced from a good formula of truth plus good choices plus power. This leaves out a critical element in the way God has designed us. It primarily uses just one part of our brain and the Lord intended us to need and work and play and live our lives out in the context of one another. So one practice that we can move towards in our groups, in our community, in our Sunday mornings is this intentional looking at one another, looking at each other's eyes, delighting in the person before us. This may mean putting our phones aside. This is also one reason why our real life groups have been modeled a little differently than a traditional Bible study that often has us kind of staring down at at the scripture, which is beautiful, um, yet can be limited in the power of transformation if we're not engaging one another um, as well. So how might we increase our joy? The scriptures are pretty clear that gratitude is an on-ramp for joy. Now, there's lots of ways to cultivate gratitude, but please check out the exercise that we have included in the questions and discussion page um, that we've sent out to your real life group leaders. It is a special exercise that would help to engage more of the right side of our brain that leads again to that relational joy and connection with the Lord that is particularly transformational.